You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, and today, at what point do we actually sit here and go, okay... I get the Jimbo Fisher disapproval, but how can we not say he is a top 10 coach? Reason article says he is not. We got all that and much, much more. Plus, we're looking at Phil Steele's article breaking down Texas A&M in 2021. Before we go anywhere, there's one place to be when you want to get all your SEC information five days a week, and that's Locked On SEC with Chris Gordy of Sports Talk 790. Follow Locked On SEC podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast listening systems. As always, make sure you're following me on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to make this a more quality-sounding podcast Monday through Friday, give me a follow, give me a shout-out, and I will add it into the mix. Secondly, Locked On Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th May related content found here on LOP. You can subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. Now, let's start this show off by prefacing, I know Pro Football Focus. Like, I know multiple people at PFF. And they're good people. I'm not here to, you know, crap on them for what they do. They actually do serve a purpose. And... They do a lot of the grunt work that most people never want to do in this industry. And that's finding out stats and information of cut times and juke and agility skills and things to where it's a success rate. Those numbers actually do serve a purpose when we're talking about sports. But the problem I have isn't with that. It's with you try to be so analytical with everything you do. And at what point does it just come off as kind of like you're trying to be either incorrect or write a narrative that isn't true? And that starts with Seth Galina's recent article. I know Seth. I met Seth a couple times down in Mobile for the uh, uh, Senior Bowl. And he's a good guy. But it starts with his top 20 coaches for 2021. Coming in at number one, no surprise, it's Nick Saban. It is Nick Saban. Number two is Dabo Sweeney. No surprise. It's Dabo Sweeney. We had this conversation about a week ago, and I stand by those two. There's not much more I have to say about them because of six ACC titles, a multitude of SEC titles. Oh, and on top of all of that, let's look ahead at the overall standings of where these two sit in the college football playoff. Every year they're there. That's all I need to say. But after that gets interesting. It gets really interesting on how he ranks the next four. Kirby Smart comes in at number three from Georgia, and a lot of people do talk about Kirby Smart in a positive light because think about this for a second. If not for two quarters, the fourth quarter in the national championship and the uh, fourth quarter of the 2018, I want to say it was, yeah, it was, it was the 18 SEC championship game. Yeah, they don't blow any of those. Georgia likely is a back-to-back national title contender. And that's very normal because of when you think about what they do and what they bring to the table every year in recruiting, in players, in talent going to the NFL, they're right there as an NFL team. But somehow, 
They just drop out last second, and that's why Kirby Smart comes in at three. Number four is Lincoln Riley. I get it. Since 2016 to present day, he's at the number one offense in college football consistently. Uh, they have one of the best EPA marks. They are one of the best teams when it comes to rushing the ball and having a more balanced offense, even though it is an air raid. So I get it. And number five is Dan Mullen. Now, a lot of people know this about me, and I've said this before. Dan Mullen is an underrated coach. I believe that 100%. I don't believe he has gotten the respect he deserves in the SEC for what he's done at Mississippi State, for what he's done at Florida in his three years there. And I can understand an argument to where Jimbo Fisher maybe comes in as the fourth best head coach in the SEC. And he does, but he also comes in outside the top 10 coaches in the SEC, I mean, in college football. Number six for Galena is Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald. Number seven is Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Number eight is Kyle Winningham from Utah. I get that one. I do. Number nine is Lance Leopold from Kansas. What? Like what? We really know that? All right. Let's just see. Yeah, sure. Lance Leopold. Yeah, 100% a better coach than Jimbo Fisher. Everyone knows that. Number 10, Mac Brown. Oh, God. Number 11, Jamie Chadwell. Go to Coastal Carolina. I get the mullet love, man. I do. I love the Chanticleers. Guess what? Nope. Nope, not even close. Number 12 is Brian Kelly, and number 13 is Jimbo Fisher. The Florida State dynasty of the late 1980s and 1990s have produced 14 straight years where the team finished as a top five of the AP poll under Bobby Brown. But that's not the program Jimbo Fisher inherited in 2010. Even with Fisher serving as the OC, the team stumbled to three seven-win finishes in the last four years of the Bowden era. Fisher quickly got the program back on track, though, winning 78% of his games and bringing home a national championship. After the championship-winning year of 2013, the FSU offenses were ranked 38th nationally in EPA per play. Under his watch, dropped from 107th in three years since he's left. FSU has also gone 14-20 and 20 in that period. Meanwhile, he's revamped Texas A&N's program, going 26-10 and 10 in three seasons, and is coming off a 9-1 season with huge aspirations for a national title hunt in 2021. I get all that, and all that is 100% true. No denying whatsoever any of that. But what are we doing ranking him number 13? I'm serious. Like, I get... The love for other coaches. I love Jamie Chadwell. And Jamie Chadwell, actually, I've, you heard my podcast earlier this year. I guess it was last year because that's when they fired Will Muschamp. I said the first hire that needs to be made from South Carolina needs to go across the state to the Chanticleers and call Jamie Chadwell. I 100% say that. I said that multiple times. I'll stand by that. He's not a better coach than Jimbo Fisher. There's not a chance. Lance Leopold. I love Lance Leopold, and Lance Leopold actually has a great story if you've never heard it. He went from being a high school coach to going to Division Three Wisconsin Whitewater University. Wisconsin Whitewater is a small, small, small town. Quinn Miners, the guy who's playing for the Denver Broncos, is like the big superstar. He played at Whitewater. That's how good he was. But that was about the only talent. After that, he was able to return the program around at Buffalo, and what he did at Buffalo, taking over for guys like Curtis Sibis, Jim Hoffner, Turner Gill, and Jeff Quinn, was he consistently was winning games. And he really has now brought a bit of praise and hope to the Jayhawks 
for the first time since Mark Mangino. They've won 21 games in 11 years. That's the best record. Oh, by the way, yeah, my bad. The best record over that time frame was when Les Miles was the head coach and they went 3-9. and nine. That doesn't say he's a better coach than Jimbo Fisher. I like the story. I like what he's done. I like how he's coached. And don't get me wrong, his record speaks evidence that he is a good, good coach. He's won six national championships at a D3 school. Do you know how many national championship runs Jimbo Fisher's been on at a D1 school? Last year, there was an argument that they should have been in the college football playoff year, Texas A&M. 100%, there was an argument. And I stand by that, and I think anyone out there who watched college football last year stands by it too. There also was an argument earlier that year that when he was at Florida State in 2015, or 14, first year of the college football playoff, yeah, they didn't go. They were still in the running. Second year of Florida State, guess what else? One national title. As an OC at LSU, twice he was in the running for a national title. So you can say this as much as you want. D3 talent versus D3 standards. It's easier to win with top name guys at the D3 level than it is to win with top level guys at the D1 level. Why? Because of everyone who is a starter at a major program is a top-level talent. D3, one school can have a bunch of solid players. That's it. Matt Campbell, I love Matt Campbell. Name on the rise, I put him in my top 10. Guess what? He's not. He's not 7th and Jimbo Fisher's 13th. He's done a good job returning the Cyclones around, but he went 3-9 and nine his first year. Pat Fitzgerald, like Pat Fitzgerald, been at Northwestern for 16 years. He's won 50%, uh, 57% of his games. Doesn't mean you're better. Every single year, Texas A&M is now expected to be in the running for the college football playoff and an SEC title. Every single year, except for the very last one, Florida State was in the running for an ACC title and a college football playoff appearance. Every single year, that offense was thriving down in the bayou under Jimbo Fisher's direction. Jimbo Fisher is number one, a top 10 coach. Consensusly, your list is wrong. It is 100% wrong. It is not even close to being in the same ballpark of correct if Jimbo Fisher is not a top 10 coach. He can be 10. And I'll listen to it. If he's not 10 or higher, it is incorrect. Same with Brian Kelly. Say what you want about Brian Kelly. I get Brian Kelly. I get the Brian Kelly hate. I get where people are upset with the Brian Kelly situation because of he's never been able to take that next leap. But he's a good coach. And to say that he's not top 10 is asinine. Lance Leopold is going to take three years to turn Kansas into a bowl-eligible team. Not just a good team, but a bowl-eligible team. And he's top 10? The only way I will put Lance Leopold in my top 10, 
and I'll give you this, Seth, is if he takes Kansas to a bowl game this year, if he can take Kansas with the roster he has without being able to recruit his own players this year, yes, I will give you that. Until then, he's top 20. Uh, the last, uh, I'll give you this though. I like Kyle Whittingham. I remember when I did my coach's rankings a couple weeks ago, I kept him off. Uh, that definitely needed to happen. Uh, other names that were on the list after Jimbo Fisher, Mark Stoops at 14. I actually agree with that one. Luke Fickle from Cincinnati at 15, Tom Allen at 16, Jeff Munkin from Army at 17, James Franklin from Penn State. He's in my top 10 at 18, Billy Napier from Louisiana at 19 and PJ Fleck coming in at number 20. Who do you think is the top 10 coach? And you can actually probably make a bet on this. You could probably bet on anything. Well, actually, you can bet on anything. And when you do so, make sure you go to the one place we love and the one place we trust. That's betonline.eg. BetOnline.eg is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your sports action. Get all the latest news, odds, and your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head on over to betonline.ag on your laptop and sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get in the game as your team preps for their run deep into the postseason. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbooks experts. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. For anyone who doesn't know how talented Phil Steele is, Phil Steele has been doing this gig, this shtick, where he comes out with the Real Steel Magazine every single season and talks about the top players in college football. Well, once again, this year, he did it. And naturally, Texas A&M was mentioned highly. In fact, they were mentioned so highly that 12 total players made the All-SEC team for Texas A&M. And again, I get it. A&M, when you look going into this year is good enough to be one of the best teams in college football, as they should. All four of his All-Americans, and by the way, they're all All-Americans, three are first-team All-Americans, one is a third-team All-American, made his first-team All-SEC team, with defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal leaving the pack, with Isaiah Spiller coming in as the starting running back, tight end Jalen Widemeyer returning for his third season as the first-team tight end, and offensive lineman Kenyon Green coming in as the starting offensive lineman. Keep in mind that when you do these playoff, uh, not these playoff, my bad, these preseason teams, you're just saying linemen. So you can have two, three, three tackles, you can have five tackles, you can have one center and four guards. So just because Green is going to be seen as a guard, prospect probably at the NFL level doesn't mean that he is a guard on this list he is just an offensive lineman for the second team all SEC McKinley Jackson the brand new nose tackle taking over for uh, Bobby Brown has stepped up he is now on the second team and wide receiver really do it all you can put him in as an athlete or an all-purpose player Anaya Smith comes in at the wide receiver position Fellow deep snapper Connor Choate comes in as the second team special teamer. For the third team, Anaya Smith returns, but this time as a return man. Everyone knows that he is going to take kickoffs, but he's mostly known for doing stuff at the wide receiver position, a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of movement behind the line of scrimmage, and also returning punts. It's why he has to have technically two jersey numbers, and every single time that he returns a punt, they have to put a jersey on him so he can't be in on if it's a third and 13 because if he's got to be able to get out there. So it is a loss for AM, but at the same time, 
you know what you're getting. So he comes in as the punt returner. And defensive back Leon O'Neill comes in. So Leon, again, he's a roving safety. He does a little bit of everything. He can play really well in space. He can do a good job attacking the line of scrimmage. He can do a little bit in coverage deep. Everything about Leon O'Neill screams he could have a big breakout year. And I could see him actually making his way all the way up to the first team defense if he is just a full-fledged superstar at the defensive back position. For the fourth team, wide receiver Caleb Chapman comes in as the fourth team uh, starting wide receiver. Miles Jones, the third-year starting cornerback, comes in as one of the defensive backs. Jameer Johnson, the brand-new transfer from Tennessee, comes over as the uh, new offensive lineman. And punter Nick Constantino comes in as the team's fourth team punter. I know I said team a lot, but that's the best way I can put it. Now, what do I think of these rankings as a whole? I would say 95% of them I actually agree with. I believe Caleb Chapman being a fourth team wide receiver makes a lot of sense. He's coming off of a torn ACL. I think that because of that, that does play a factor into it. I think that the SEC is loaded at the cornerback position, so Miles Jones coming in as a fourth teamer also makes a little bit of sense because, again, it is an area where he probably is going to fit right now. The two I disagree with mostly would be, I would put Leon O'Neal as a second-team defensive back only because when I look at what he brings as one of the more versatile pieces of Mike Elko's defense and how you can run a three-safety set where you're going to have one guy at every level, Damani Richardson in the box, Keldra Carper over the top, and then kind of right in the middle of the field as a rangy guy for those short to intermediate passes, O'Neal just does that very well. And I think that that's something that you have to take into consideration every single time they take the field. And then I also think Anaya Smith. I personally think Anaya Smith should be a first-teamer because I get it. I understand how loaded the wide receiver position is. But I look at this team as a whole And I view this as, okay, when I see Anaya Smith putting up Kadarius Toney-like numbers, and I talk to scouts, and they say, Anaya Smith, number zero? Yeah, he's going to have that type of rise. I would just feel it makes more sense to me, or it feels more important to me to put him in the first team category and watch him break out, so then I say, I was right. To where I can always go back and say, well, I made a mistake. Oh, well, so be it on the opposite side. That's just my opinion. I'm not saying Phil is wrong. Phil is actually probably really right on this. And when you look at the team as a whole, it makes a ton of sense. And there's some areas where there's concern. Now everyone's probably wondering, what about quarterback? No, I I get it. Haynes King or Zach Calzada has not taken a snap at all in 2021. Calzada did not play last year and King he went two of four one pass was an interception one was a touchdown so it's not like he is just this absolute superstar player coming out of nowhere I do think though one of them could make the actual final list for the all SEC team if they have a good year behind a good offensive line but as I kind of said before uh, there's three all-americans who are first team all-americans on Steele's list Leal uh, you also have, sorry about that, Kenyon Green for offensive lineman and Jalen Weidemeyer as the first team tight end. Isaiah Spiller also comes in as the number three running back, uh, third team running back. 
This episode of Lock on Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar, where a candy bar meets a protein bar. Built Bar is covered in 100% real chocolate, and they're soft and easy to choose. So no matter what flavor you're choosing, cherry barcia, mint brownie, salted caramel, you're always going to have a nice nougat center covered in 100% chocolatey goodness. The bars are low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, and great for anybody on the keto diet. Every single day, I start my morning off with a peanut butter brownie protein bar because it only has 18 grams of protein, for 180 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. All products that I need to build my body up right. Go visit BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to save 50% off your next order. That promo code is LOCKED15 for 50% off at BuiltBar.com. Stop eating the salty sweets and enjoy a treat that will meet your needs. Built Bar from BuiltBar.com. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Every single day, you can get caught up on all major news coming out of every sport if you just listen to the Locked on Today's show with Peter Bukowski. Peter breaks down all major news coming out of every single major sporting outlet in 25 minutes or less. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or listen wherever you get your podcast listening systems. So we got one more thing to talk about, and that is Phil Steele's actual thoughts on Texas A&M going into the year. He's pretty high on them. He has them in the preseason top 10. He has them coming in at number six. And when you look at the teams ahead of them, it makes some sense. Don't get me wrong. I I, I get without the quarterback position, you're wondering what's going to happen. But consider everything else. They're coming in at number six. And they are losing some pieces. Not the best start. Definitely not the worst one. Steele did, though, say that if everything goes well at the quarterback position, they should be able to to contend for a national title because they're returning so many talented players. Texas A&M at 394 yards per game and a 29.5 points per game average in 2019. Last year, they had seven starters returning, including quarterback Kellen Mond. A&M played a tougher schedule than expected with a 10 of 10 power five, nine SEC games and only improved uh, to 439 yards per game and 32.6 points per game. This year, they lose Mon and four starting offensive linemen. But with a more manageable schedule, my computer is calling their numbers better with an average of 449 yards per game and an average of 36.8 points per game. In 2018, the Aggies' new defensive coordinator, Mike Elko, inherited eight returning starters, and my computer called for them to allow 225.1 points per game and 344 yards per game. And they gave up 25.3 points per game and 348 yards per game, despite allowing 41 points in a seven-overtime win against LSU. In 2019, AM had four starters back on D, and they took the explosive offenses of LSU, Alabama, and Clemson. My computer called on them to finish with 361.5 yards per game and allowing 24.9 yards per game, but they didn't do even better with 340 yards per game and only allowing 22.5 points per game. Last year, they had nine starters back, and despite a tougher schedule, they improved to 317 yards per game and an average of 21.7 points per game with a run defense that finished with just 92 yards per game and an average of 3.3 yards per play. This year, the defense returns nine starters, and their D-lines and DBs both rank in my top six units and are rated as the number four defense in the country. Finally, Steele projects that Texas A&M is to finish second in the SEC West behind Alabama, but they rank number six going into the year and should be able to contend right away for a national title. 
Texas A&M has all the talent to compete with Alabama this year, and they get them at home in College Station. I said last year the Aggies were a legitimate playoff contender, and this year I stand behind it. I say they will be a legitimate national title contender. Long story short, for anyone out there who needs to know, fix the offensive line, get the right quarterback in there, get the right name on the roster, and as long as you have that, you are in for a great season ahead in College Station. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. On tomorrow's show, Haynes King or Zach Calzada? What is the right answer? What are the pros and cons for both players? And who deservingly has the edge going into week one's game against Kent State? We'll be discussing that and much, much more. See you tomorrow. And remember, you get me all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.